0: Jen
1: and she eats
0: chicken wings with a fork
1: oh man <laughs> this is my best friend Kelly and she makes her own tie-dye t-shirts
0: I do I'm wearing one right now mm-hmm.
1: and she is very kind enough to give them to others as well
0: yeah oh and we're therapists that's right yeah both well, of us at the same time imagine that so really quick we wanted to do a little um check in and or just like an update i guess and say let people know that we actually we wanted to timestamp our um i was about to say sessions our episodes (laughs) episodes and just let people know the date that we're recording because it's far after or far before they'll probably come out because it takes a little while for us to edit them and post them and everything so today is actually may 21st 2021 Mm -hmm. so in case anything happens in the world Before this comes out, and then you're like, why didn't they talk about that? It's because Mm -hmm. we're talking about this on 521.
1: Yeah, which while this may be interesting to listen to, if you're listening to our episodes in order, um, Monday was the launch. Monday of this week was the launch of the podcast, so it has been an interesting week and Mm -hmm. a really exciting one, I think. Yeah, we've gotten a
0: lot of love and support from people, and... Mm -hmm. It's been so great. couple times shocker. I've cried whenever the feedback that we've gotten has just been so loving and it's just really awesome. So thanks everybody. And maybe by the time that this episode actually comes out it'll be even more love and that's even
1: more great. Yeah. so maybe we'll have even more listeners than we've started with and I don't know I think that we're both we've moved from the place of feeling or at least for myself feeling nervous. And I don't know, some feelings that felt a little bit unpleasant surrounding this experience. Now I'm moving into like excitement and hopeful and really proud. So yeah. I can't wait to continue to build on those feelings.
0: I agree. Completely. I like them more. Yes, for sure. So today we are going to be talking about imposter syndrome. So Jen, whenever you hear imposter syndrome, what does that bring up for you? What do you think about
1: Oh, I think about, oh, I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Yeah, my initial thoughts are, that's a tough one. I'm a person with anxiety, so that means I feel imposter syndrome, or at least I can in a variety of ways. So both personally and professionally. And it's a really good example of when your thoughts are liars. Mm. Because imposter syndrome is a liar. And those are my initial thoughts.
0: Yeah, I always picture this um, cover that Psychology Today had one time about, like, they had it at... That's actually interesting, because I picture this one cover, but now I'm thinking that it was from a different story, or imposter syndrome might have been in that magazine, but the cover was representing jealousy, but it was a person that had, like, a green, like, face mask on their face, mm-hmm. and so it just, like, whenever I think of imposter syndrome, I think of this, like, green, scary monster face that's, like, I don't know, gonna gobble you up or something, because that's kind of how it feels, like, it feels like this... Mm-hmm monster. I don't know. It can be very overwhelming. So yeah, I think that um, imposter syndrome is something I feel like I feel on a regular basis. And when I say regular basis, I mean, probably at least one point in time, like a little bit of time every other week, probably. Oh, yeah, it feels like a lot. Sometimes it's fleeting, right? Like it doesn't always last forever. But I it's something that I am very familiar with. I've felt it a lot.
1: Mm, yeah. Well, it's interesting because being in this field, a lot of people might refer to us or therapists in general or helpers whatever that is as experts. Yeah. And so that then highlights the expectation that we should have a certain level of competence and knowledge and skill set, whatever, you know, whatever else comes with those things. And so if we then have experiences that touch on, ooh, I don't know all of that or I don't have all of these skills or I'm walking out of a session and I'm feeling like, ooh, what did we really do or did we get something done? I think it pokes at that imposter syndrome thing and Mm -hmm. which really everybody has it. That's kind of, I don't know that this is the origin, but the whole phrase fake it till you make it is kind of the whole point of that is, Right. right? Overcome that anxiety and nervousness and fear whatever that is and put on the face of being someone who's confident and competent and hopefully the rest will catch up with you
0: well and i also so kind of to piggyback off of that like where does that come from or what's the origin of it mm-hmm. i feel like um so much of that is really fed by some of our cultural and societal expectations of like when you graduate high school and if you go to college, then you're supposed to know what you want to go to school for. Or if you don't go to college, you're supposed to have a job and like have it all figured out. And this Mm -hmm. idea of, I mean, it kind of tracks back with when we were talking about um, anxiety as the millennial disorder, which obviously it's been far before that, that people have that experience of just like, oh, everyone around me seems to have shit figured out. So why do I not have it figured out when in reality, like nobody has anything figured out. We, you know, no one knows what we're doing.
1: Oh, yeah. But the fear about that, um, there's the internal experience of it, of that causing the discomfort and the nervousness or whatever other feelings come up. But then there's also the piece of I'm fearful of being found out about that. And in prep for today's episode, I wanted to have a good working definition of imposter syndrome. So the one that I had looked up that I liked the most is from Very Well Mind which is a website and they say that it is the internal experience of not feeling as competent as others perceive you to be. Yeah. Yeah. Which really just gets at that piece of expectation and perception and us wanting to show up in a way that meets other people's high expectations of us.
0: And so I think that's something that's unique about being a therapist and having imposter syndrome is, and this connects with, People who know me, my clients, if they're listening, will definitely heard me talk about this. But that I think it connects with this idea that like a, if you, if people have never been to therapy before, they have a very distorted, per, often have a very distorted perception of what to expect mm-hmm. um, based on TV and movies and all of that kind of stuff, which is so annoying to me because most of the time therapists are portrayed very negatively in media, which is like a whole other episode that we want to talk about. But so ha- people having certain expectations of what therapy is supposed to be like. And that can really contribute to some of that imposter syndrome of like, oh, not only do I like maybe not know something that you're asking me about, but it's like you have this expectation that I'm supposed to know something or an expectation that I'm supposed to fix you or
1: whatever. And so it's like, oh, God. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Well, regardless of what, what your... Job is or how what your situation is in a lot of different like areas of life I, there's always going to be an expectation or a perception that people are going to put on you and that's always going to I think color how we want to show up in the world and things like that and I can think about an experience and memory of imposter syndrome that comes up for me is so when I got my first job working in the field, I was still in graduate school and I got hired by my internship placement. So I made the transition from intern into staff member. And one of the like wonderful benefits of that is that the intern is already trained. They already know a bunch of stuff. Mm-hmm. So we can really throw them into the deep end of the pool and they already can know how to swim. But then I became very fearful of asking for questions about things because in my mind the perception was they hired me because i already know how to do all of these things or you're at least supposed to or i'm supposed to so what happens if i have to tell them i don't know how to enter a group note or i don't know what to do if this comes up with a patient oh no i don't want them to feel like they made the bad choice by hiring me right that was the piece of i don't want to get found out that they think I know a bunch of stuff and maybe I don't know all of it. They knew I didn't know a bunch of, st- I didn't even have a graduate degree yet. Like they know I didn't know things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and that really for a little while kept me treading water, I think by myself because I was very fearful of asking for help or asking for certain like kinds of feedback um, or things like that, which ended up, you know, not being in my benefit and, unsurprisingly probably trickled down to the patients that I was serving at the time as well.
0: Yeah. I think a big core part of imposter syndrome for me is like fear of disappointing people. Mm-hmm. So that idea of being find out found out or being exposed is part of that, but then like the consequence of being found out or exposed is then people feeling disappointed that yeah. um, they can't get whatever it was they're supposed to get. Because I think it's important that we talk about, Yes, there's imposter syndrome in career, but there's also like imposter syndrome in just personal family roles or friendship roles or, you know, whatever. And so all of these things that we think that we're supposed to be doing, whatever it is, and Mm -hmm. then, you know, just being like, oh, shit, I really don't know this. And that feels so scary. Yeah. And we all, well, you all don't know. Jen knows that part of my own stuff is like, I don't like to feel like, stupid or that people think that I'm stupid or unintelligent or whatever. And so imposter syndrome like really rubs up
1: against that a lot. And it is tricky to navigate. Mm. Well, I think a, pos- a piece of imposter syndrome also like has something to do with rejection. Cause I think when we have the experience of someone being disappointed in us or a perceived experience that someone's disappointed, I think part of that fear is oh no, how I really show up or what really they're finding out about me, they're not going to like it. Mm -hmm. And so then I'm going to feel rejected or we have this um, anticipation of that being rejection. And we know whenever rejection shows up to the party, it brings shame with it. So none of that actually feels really good. feels very threatening.
0: Yep. So you kind of already started this whenever you were talking about an experience that you had um, when you got hired for out of internship, but What do you think it looks like for a a professional, we're going to talk from the framework of therapists, but Mm -hmm. we can talk about other stuff too, to have imposter syndrome? Like, would you be able to know if you saw somebody like that, who, if you were like, that person has imposter syndrome right now, or like, what does that look like?
1: Oh, yeah. Okay, I think that I have a unique, not unique, but... I think unique between the two of us experience of helping people and providing clinical supervision through a credentialing process. So a lot of times, if I'm doing fidelity coding, so evaluating somebody's skill set or providing them feedback about you know the way that they're working with patients, I feel like I give them a lot more affirmation than they're expecting. Mm-hmm. Because anytime you're evaluated for something, especially by someone that you're seeing in, in a mentor role or an authoritative role there's some nervousness with that and you want to do well. But I also think you probably undersell yourself to yourself. Um, And so a lot of times I'm like, Hey, you have the skills, you know what you're doing more than you think that you do. Mm -hmm. Like, so I feel like I give people a lot more encouragement than they may be expecting. So I see people having some of that imposter syndrome come up with that. But I also think we need to do a better job in our specific field of letting people know like you're never done learning. And part of that is also because of the science in our field. There's always research being done, whether it's about neuroscience or what's the evidence-based practice that works the best, or, you know, what are these new things that we're discovering about people and their minds and their bodies. So you're never actually going to be done learning and that's okay. And how can we manage our expectations with that of I can be good enough As a therapist in the here and now, but also knowing a year from now, two years from now, five years from now, I'm going to be an even better therapist with hopefully more information, more knowledge, more skills. And that's actually a really exciting thing.
0: Yeah. I think that whenever times that I start to feel that imposter syndrome, like we were talking about how we did that training and, Mm -hmm. um, first of all, being reminded of things that I knew before, but haven't been implementing as well as I would have liked to Mm -hmm. or then learning something new and wishing that I had known it earlier and then bringing that information back to clients and being like I tell myself a story of is the client sitting here thinking why didn't Kelly tell me this about trauma in the body a year ago when we've been working on that and like giving myself permission to be like okay either you didn't know that a year ago And so it's okay that you didn't know that, or you forgot, like you just, that's not where the work took you or whatever. And I think that's a big time that it like comes up from, so learning new stuff and feeling really excited about it. Mm -hmm. But then also there's a little bit of pressure. Shame feels a little strong. I'm not sure what it might be instead, but just maybe disappointment of like, oh God, I wish I knew this before. And then I'll go on this, like, I don't know. Um binge of like learning stuff to be like compensating but for what feels mm-hmm. like lost time I guess um and then it just ends up sometimes being like oh my, my brain cannot let anything else in here right now and so then it kind of ping-pongs back and forth between learning all the new things and then like I need a break from learning anything and so mm-hmm. that's just tricky to kind of navigate that
1: I would be surprised though if that wasn't a parallel experience for our clients mm-hmm because we can't know all things for our clients. And also we have to be very intentional about how we provide them information and knowledge. Like it can be very empowering to give them language to go with their experience or give them more insight and knowledge into the neuroscience behind something or leading them out of isolation and normalizing an experience as a human for them. But I think a lot of times that can be overwhelming, especially when we get excited about new information. We have a lot more context and um, foundational information to support that. And I think it can be a good reminder that our clients don't always have that. And mm-hmm. so. This makes me want to just go back to reemphasize the, that the relationship that we hold with our patients is the most important. And it's okay if we are giving them new language for something that we wouldn't have been able to do a year ago. Because maybe a year ago, they weren't in a place where they could hear it either. Yeah. Or, or that we had to help them create the foundation for that as well. That's
0: a good reminder for yeah. that.
1: Hmm.
0: So what are some other times that you have either felt imposter syndrome or that it comes up for you, or now I'm like, maybe this is why I suggested this topic. Maybe Jen doesn't feel it nearly as much as I do, and I just need to talk about it. Maybe maybe we're actually hearing a supervision podcast right now instead. Um, okay.
1: Well, well, I had a little bit of imposter syndrome this week when a patient asked me about something, Um, She said, do you happen to know what, you know, what this thing is, like kind of a therapeutic technique? And I said, I know what it is, but I don't know a lot about it because I don't use it. I said, can you let me know what have you learned about it and how does it resonate for you? And initially I was, when she first asked me, do you know what this is? And I was like, yeah. And then she was like, okay, like, do you know, like, you know, she asked a further question. And I wanted to be like, I wanted to lie to her. Mm -hmm. Like my initial reaction was like, yeah, Mm
0: -hmm. no, I
1: don't know what that is. But it gave me the opportunity of she was explaining it to me. And I said, wow, this is one of those things where lots of people can do this in a therapeutic way, but we all call it different things. Mm. Because it was actually kind of a a way of track. Honestly, it was like a CBT thing of, you know, what's the activating event and those kinds of things. And so I told her, this is another way that we could talk about it that I typically use with patients. So that also felt like, ooh, it was touching on that imposter syndrome place, but then I was able to kind of redirect it and re- reframe it for both of us. Also noting that she didn't care that I didn't know right. about that actual thing. She, she doesn't, our patients don't expect us to know everything. Right. We're placing that expectation on ourselves. Right. Um, I will say I don't know that I feel it coming up in session for me a lot, or I can't think on that right now. But as someone who does a lot of trainings or has been invited to speak at conferences before, I'm just living in imposter syndrome with Mm. that, right? Like, oh my gosh, people are going to pay to come to this thing where they're expecting me to give them knowledge and I want it to be worthwhile for them. Okay, like, no pressure. Okay. (laughs) That's so funny because I've been to a lot of trainings that you've
0: done, and you're so good at doing trainings, which is just speaks to, like, what imposter syndrome is, right? Of, like, you have the skills. Like, you can do this.
1: Yeah. Well, and I had always thought that training would be something that I would be naturally good at because I do feel like one of my strengths is group facilitation. And so in my mind, I had really thought of training as – just a different form of group facilitation. And so when I first started training, I was very surprised that like, okay, this is harder than I thought it would be or, or things about this are things I hadn't anticipated would be challenging for me. And so I think I really dug into some of that. So I do feel very confident in, in training for my primary job with an audience of mainly people that I supervise in some capacity or other people that I know locally in the field who, you know, I see at trainings. But then when I'm asked to go to a conference, you know, representing the state where I have other people also coming into a breakout training with me who have more time in the field than I do, Mm -hmm. I'm like... Oh, God. (laughs) Mm -hmm. Um, But all of those have actually been good experiences. And I, you know, like any growth producing risk or experience, it's always so much better to put yourself in that situation. Almost like with this podcast right now of like, there's a a certain level of discomfort and nervousness with it. But I think the result of that is very much worth it.
0: Yeah, I was going to say that one thing that I have felt imposter syndrome around recently has been making this podcast and Mm -hmm. like when we launched our first episode this week and even though our first episode is more about you and I and less about like clinical information it still felt very much like who are we to think that we can do this thing and um, (laughs) are people gonna listen to us and uh, like that's that's heavy I think another piece of that too is just like the weight of responsibility that we can feel for what we do
1: mm-hmm. impacts that, but yeah, I was feeling some embarrassment this week about the podcast, but in the way that you're describing it of, I don't want people to think like, Oh wow. Jen and Kelly think they must think they know a bunch of shit and mm-hmm. that what they have to say is worthwhile. And I was like, Ooh, okay that's my anxiety telling me lies and kind of being a bitch. So let me try to quiet that a little bit and lean into the things that I'm excited about the pot, about the podcast, but also the affirmations that we've gotten from people that we know. Um, yeah, it's been hard.
0: I think another thing that contributes to imposter syndrome for me is like with the knowing stuff Mm
1: -hmm.
0: is forget. And I have this, in my personal life a lot and with clients too, but just like forgetting that not everyone around us has been trained in the things that we are trained in. And so that idea of we actually do know a lot of stuff (laughs) and, but some of the stuff that we know is very second nature to us now and kind of like, did, was this something that I actually learned somewhere or is this just something that I've always known? We talked about that before, but um So when people might question some of those things because they're not familiar with that, that makes me sometimes be like, well, do I know that? Like, Mm. I don't know, which is not the same thing as challenging it, right? Like, I think Mm. when when someone's questioning something, I mean, like, can you explain that to me more? Or I don't get that. Or that doesn't make sense to me. Not like Mm. I disagree with that. Um, Mm. And I think I can always feel it. In my chest and I start to talk really fast and I get short of breath and that's my signal like, all right, Kelly, you're going into that place where you're trying to convince or over explain something because you feel nervous about this. Mm -hmm. And so slow it like I can feel it even right now as I'm talking, like slow it down. It's okay. You don't have to be perfect at this and all of that kind of stuff.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's the human experience of I want to be understood. Yeah. And sometimes people are asking questions in a way to clarify because they want to understand you. Mm -hmm. But we may perceive that as you disagree with me. You're challenging me. You don't think I know what I'm talking about when most of the time it may just be Mm -hmm. the path that we have to take to understanding.
0: Yeah. Oh, man.
1: It's it's stressful. I know. (laughs) I (laughs) know. how else does that come up like in session for you though like you're speaking a lot about like that piece of ongoing education and stuff but what happens like live in session with you
0: I mean what I just described right so like we did that training last weekend or weekend before whatever and trying to bring that new information into session and I have literally said to people this week being like I can tell that I am starting to ramble so I am going to stop (laughs) because I'm I'm saying the same thing just in lots of different ways or whatever. And so that's one way. I think another way is um, when, how do I want to articulate this? If I have clients who I feel or believe are um, like drastically more intelligent than I am, because I've... I work with, everyone I work with is intelligent and smart and all that kind of stuff, but I'm talking about, like, people who are, like, chemists or, you know, Mm -hmm. computer scientists or what, like, not, it's not even smarter intelligence about, but it's more about, like, stuff that I don't understand or get. Yeah. So it could be anything. Um, I know that it... I can feel it in my body and I can feel it before I go into session. Like, I'll be like, oh, that person's coming in and I'm feeling anxious. Already. Like, it's anxiety, right? Mm-hmm. And um, how does that show up, though? I think that, I don't know that it, I'd have to ask them if they ever, know, if they'd ever noticed that, right? But, mm-hmm. like, I know it. And so I think that I try to not hide it, but deal with it internally. Um mm-hmm. I probably fumble over my words a little bit more, too, I would think, and just, like, don't seem as confident when I talk. But,
1: yeah. That's a really good example, though. Yeah, when you're working with someone who is objectively intellectual. Yeah. And so there is a level of anxiety about, damn, I need to come to session hundred percent, So that way they get their money's worth and they're getting something from me that they can't get from a Google search or from a self-help book. Which I think is a lot of pressure that therapists have about themselves because that is part of it. Like, if you're doing things in session that someone could just go home and look up on the internet. I'm sorry, I'm feeling like this is sounding very judgmental and that's not the place that I'm trying to come from with it. But then it's like, okay, then what are you doing in session? Right. (laughs) Right? Like we need to be bringing something into the space with our patients that that they need to be getting from another human. They need to be externally processing with another person um, and things like that. So I think that's a good way to be – like we should be able to explain the reason, right, the why behind everything that we're doing and make sure that we're doing everything in session with our patients with a level of intention. But – that can also kind of swing the other, the other way of over planning for a session being overly intentional because then you can have your own agenda for a session and not leave room for the patient to show up as they are. I feel like I'm now rambling, so I'm going to stop. Well, I think
0: I feel like what you just said really goes back to speak about like, like that idea of what are they going to get from us that they can't just find online or whatever mm-hmm. is that relationship piece. Yeah. And maybe this will we can talk about this more at the end when we kind of talk about like what do you do about imposter syndrome but like finding that anchor of this is about the relationship and that's something that i feel sure about and so maybe that's a good also signal of like if imposter syndrome is coming up with a client or just a person in your personal life or whatever that might be a signal that it feels to you like something is off in the relationship dynamic whether it Mm -hmm. is from your like transference or counter-transference or what, like just thinking, man, something feels weird between us. And so that can contribute to
1: more of that imposter syndrome. Yeah. It may also be, and I think you were speaking to this a little bit, it may also be that there's something that's being activated for us that may be telling us that we're not showing up as our authentic selves Mm -hmm. because it can be very easy to feel anxious about a session or a particular patient. And so we overcompensate. So we're not showing up as our genuine selves and it's becoming performative. And that can be a threat to the therapeutic alliance because we have to show up unapologetically as ourselves, I think to build good rapport and good relationship with our patients. And we also owe that to them so if we're feeling like there's a gap there for some reason, I always encourage clinicians, like, reflect on that for yourself first. Like, take an inventory for yourself and then maybe look into, okay, how may the patient be showing up and what might they be coming in with that could be maybe a barrier to this relationship and, and those things. Yeah. Mm. That's good stuff.
0: Mm. So what what do you think that it looks like whenever clients might be experiencing imposter syndrome? Ooh.
1: I think it looks like a lot of things we already talked about, right? (laughs) Yeah, that's that's an important (laughs) distinction is that
0: just because we're the therapist doesn't mean that we have some different experience of the Mm -hmm. thing
1: that we're talking about. Yeah, Yeah. I would, right, because it's a human experience. There's nothing special about me that makes me have imposter syndrome that makes my clients not or they have it and I don't, right? It's nothing like that. But we may be able to notice and label it as imposter syndrome before they are able to. Mm -hmm. So I think sometimes we're able to see that showing up with our patients and we're able to say, wow, I think you may be having that experience of imposter syndrome right? What is that like for you? How do you feel like people may be experiencing that f- like from you? And um I always go back to what is the self-talk surrounding that? And you can even take it a little bit further to be like, okay, yeah, what's the self-talk around that? And what's the emotional response? And where is that coming from? Yeah,
0: whose voice is that originally? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because it probably is from a parent or an old boss or whatever, because I definitely have some experiences in our professional development that replay as imposter syndrome Mm -hmm. later on for me.
1: So I think we also probably see it a lot in the space of patients who are back in the dating world Mm -hmm. of a lot of people look at a first date, a little bit like a job interview of let me put on my Sunday best. I want to be perceived in a very specific way, which I understand that. I think that's kind of the point of what's supposed to happen on a first date. Um, But then as maybe a relationship progresses and you're trying to be more vulnerable and how do you transition into that without feeling like I've really tried to sell myself as one (laughs) thing. Misrepresented myself. Yes. Um, And how can you kind of come back from that? And there are all these other cultural things that reinforce that, Mm -hmm. right? Like, oh, my God, I don't want my boyfriend to see me for the first time without makeup on. Or, like, that's a conversation I've had to have with people. Yeah. So I think that anything that threatens that piece of vulnerability or really gets at that, I don't, I may feel unsafe and is tapping at that piece of if someone really knows me, then Mm -hmm. what will that mean? And Mm -hmm. that means that there's a risk of rejection there.
0: What you were just saying just made me feel really sad. Like, oh. like, not me, per- empathy sad or mm-hmm. sympathy sad, just from the perspective of, like, God, it's so fucking hard to be a person, like, yeah. to, to not even really be doing anything other than existing and interacting mm-hmm. with other people who are existing. Uh-huh. And it's just, so, like, the thing that made me feel sad was, like, we're all so hard on ourselves. Mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what imposter syndrome ultimately really is, is, like, just us being really hard on ourselves. Yeah what do you so i just had this other thought though this idea of like okay what if you're feeling imposter syndrome i guess maybe it wouldn't be called this but like if you're actually being an imposter like Mm. not necessarily in an intentional or manipulative way but that idea of like i have been i guess it is intentional i'm working it out as i'm talking about it but this Mm. idea of like okay i have presented myself one way, like this curated way. Like mm-hmm. I think about social media, for example, and it's like, I have really presented this image of myself and then something happens that exposes something where I was not authentic. I don't, I guess that wouldn't be imposter syndrome though because imposter syndrome is like, it's not actually mm. being imposter. I don't
1: know where yeah. i going with that. Okay, I wonder if you're asking when do people get, overly confident, potentially arrogant.
0: Maybe, yeah.
1: <laughs> right? And things become a little bit premature. Yeah. Um, I don't know. I think that's a hard – that is so individualized, yeah. I think, and it would be helpful if we both had some more examples about that, um, of how that can show up and what that might mean. Um,
0: I think it could be a yeah. simple – to like, I'm thinking just, you know, if you're trying to connect with a person – Perfect. Okay, I got an example of like say you were we you and I are just talking and you're like, "Oh my gosh, I just watched this new movie. It's so good. Have you seen it?" And I'm like, "Yeah, I saw it. It's really good." And I haven't seen it. And then uh-huh. later we're having a conversation with someone else and you say something about the movie and I'm like, "I never saw that." And you're like, "But wait, we had this conversation where you said that you saw it." And then I'm like, "Oh, now I have that feeling of, ah, I'm exposed and whatever, which that's a very insignificant kind of benign example. But that's the kind of thing that I mean,
1: I guess, is like. Oh, yeah. I actually really love that example because that's the piece, I think, that's culturally reinforced of keeping up with the Joneses and how we may get ourselves into a predicament where in the moment we're like, I'm going to say this thing that does not seem very significant or meaningful but then it might unravel something later on right. where it's like, oh, my gosh, what's the point of that? And now I've gotten myself into this predicament. And how can I, I mean, that would be an opportunity for um, a corrective experience, potentially, in a very human moment to be like, I was just trying to keep up with you. And I wanted you to like me or I wanted to fit in or, you know, whatever that was. Yeah. Which is, I guess, like goes back to how
0: shame often like comes at the same time because mm-hmm. it takes you a lot of vulnerability to say, I just wanted you to like me and I was trying to connect and I panicked. And so I lied and said this um, and then feeling the shame that comes with that and the fear of rejection and all of those things. Mm-hmm. And so then it's easier to just be like, oh, what? Well, I didn't mean that I haven't seen it. I have seen it like blah, and trying to backtrack it and fix it instead of. That's another thing, like if you make a mistake at work, and then trying to cover up the mistake or explain why it wasn't really a mistake, because like, well, no one taught me how to do that, or, yes. <laughs> um, you know, whatever. And it's like, what? man, what is it that we can't just be like, oh, I messed up. Please help me fix that.
1: Yeah. Yeah. It's funny, because one of my the people that I supervise for licensure yesterday, we got on we were doing like a virtual supervision session and I literally like get on the call with her and she has a look on her face and I'm like, what's going on? And she's like, I did something bad. And I was like, okay, well, what was it? And how can we fix it? And she was like, "Huh." Oh. I was like, are you afraid that you're about to get in trouble? She's like, no, I know I'm not going to get in trouble. I'm just freaking out. And what happened was honestly, it wasn't like we were able to fix it. It was not a big deal. But um, when you, sorry, go ahead, finish your thought. That's really just that experience of like, the fear of that, of her being found out, like, wow. And she's a very high-performing clinician. Um, and so I think for her to be like, oh, my gosh, I'm about to have to tell my licensure supervisor, who's also my boss's boss, that I messed this thing up, felt very vulnerable for her, I'm I'm assuming, was what was being activated in that moment for her.
0: When you were talking about that, the, the thing that came into my head was, um, it just made me think about religion mm-hmm. and I'm a recovering Catholic, and so there's a lot of deep-seated ideas about guilt mm-hmm. that are associated with that. And I imagine in other religions and non-religion-related things, too, but just this idea of, like, I'm going to get in trouble.
1: Mm-hmm
0: when you said that I, I did something bad, I'm, I'm worried I'm going to be in trouble that my response was like, Oh yeah, I get that. Like you're worried about the fire and brimstone coming down. Mm-hmm. And d- so instead it's just like, cover it up, cover it up, pretend it never happened. I don't know. That's just yeah. ADD problems. That's where my head went.
1: Well, I also think people don't have a lot of experiences where they've made a mistake and a very genuine one and they were able to fix it and they felt supported in that moment and they had a good result from it.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, Right, that's how children get conditioned to lie because yeah. they're so fearful of getting in trouble. Right, they're trying to avoid that situation of punishment, of shame, of guilt, whatever that may be. It's so, like I understand why people lie, and I also understand yesterday why this clinician felt very worried. Um, and again, that was kind of a corrective experience for her of like, okay, like, well, you met first of all the, when she told me what had happened. I was like, oh, we've all done that. Like, mm-hmm. it's that's totally fine, and mm-hmm. um, we were able to, you know, to fix it or move forward through it. But Um, earlier before we started recording today, we were talking about the different ways that this can come up for clients. So I want to kind of go back to that thought for a moment because I think sometimes for the clients that we serve, we may be giving them some affirmation about progress that we see them making or really just praise for them saying something that happened And they might be like, well, it's just this. Mm -hmm. It's really trying to explain away. Yeah, minimize. Yeah. And I think that's another way that imposter syndrome can come up, especially in the therapeutic space and relationship of us being like that really is progress and people wanting to minimize that because they're looking at progress, trying to be leaps and bounds when yeah. it really is a, a, a slower process of a little bit of it at a time. And it really is our job as the therapist to celebrate those things when we see them showing up.
0: Yeah. That makes me have that thought about like people shooting all over themselves and like, <sighs> yeah. like, yeah, it's great that I'm doing this, but I should be doing this and this and this. And it's just like, Oh gosh. And it's so interesting. Oh man, I'm having a convergence of thoughts. It's just so interesting how, again, humans are so hard on themselves, and we're. It's so much easier for us to tell other people, like, no, be proud of yourself. Like this is this is progress, and we mean this, and it's authentic, and it feels so true. Yet it's so hard to do that for ourselves. Yeah. Which is what part of the value of therapy is, is having another person say it to you so maybe you can accept it more and then also practice how to say it in general. Yeah.
1: Because what would be the experience that you had if you stopped thinking about all the things that you're not doing and started giving yourself credit and space to acknowledge all the things that you are doing? Damn, you really came for us with that one. That was good. Uh, I mean, what, what would that experience be like for us? Yeah. And, you know, I've asked that to people in session before, kind of, I mean, a little bit in that exact way. And some of the responses that I've gotten have been like, well, then I would feel too arrogant. Yeah. And I'm like, well, you get to give yourself credit. Like, you, you get to do that. You are doing those things. And I think for women in particular
0: in our culture, mm-hmm. like, that's really, like, nailed into our heads as far as like, well, if you have confidence, then that means that you are being arrogant or you're cocky or you're full of yourself or you're shallow or whatever and so the default has to be the opposite of that which is like beating yourself up and saying you're mm-hmm. not good enough or can't why is it not okay societally for us particularly women because men have a lot more space to white men have a lot more space to be proud of themselves or pat themselves on the back or celebrate mm-hmm. themselves or whatever and if women do it then it's just something's wrong
1: with us. Oh yeah. It makes me think also of last week's episode about self-care and how that can feel very selfish for people yeah. when it's like, we don't have to assign these types of meaning to things where then we experience them in a negative way because we don't allow ourselves to feel good because we're not giving ourselves the permission to do that. So maybe
0: that's a, another, just to piggyback off of that and go back to last week, is like a form of self-care is giving yourself accurate and, appropriate and deserved recognition
1: for the things that you do well yes and it's also okay if you want to ask for or maybe you have your own expectation of that being acknowledged or maybe praised by someone else Mm -hmm. I know that there can be a debate um, with parents about how you provide allowance to your kids Mm -hmm. because I You know, a lot of parents will be like, okay, I want to give allowance to my child for making their bed, for cleaning their room. And then I've heard other people in the argument say, I'm not going to give allowance for things that you should already be doing. When you say allowance, you mean money. I mean money or treat, whatever that is. Yeah. Um, Like some kind of actual reward. But what we know about human behavior is that we want to give positive reinforcement to things we want people to do more of. Right. Right? When I... When my dog doesn't run away after the mailman and I give them a treat, that's reinforcing it. I shouldn't say, well, I don't want her to run after the mailman. So I expect her not to do that. Right. We Mm -hmm. want to reinforce the things that we want people to do. And we can do that for ourselves of being like, damn, I usually wait until Sunday to do all my laundry, but I finished it on Friday afternoon and I'm feeling pumped about it. And I want to go tell my husband, like I did all the fucking laundry today and I never do that. And, I expect him to be like, damn, like way to get ahead of that. Mm -hmm. Like we should be excited about things that are worth being excited about. That's okay. Well, and I think that's one
0: thing that's important about having healthy relationships in your life is that I know that if I have something like that, I can call you and be like, I just want to brag on myself for a second. And you're a really great cheerleader. Like you were always very encouraging, but being able to say, I'm feeling so proud of myself or I'm feeling really badass for doing this thing. And I just wanted to tell someone period right like Mm -hmm. without having them question it or tell me that you should have been doing that all along or whatever like just being like that's really great awesome congratulations
1: well sometimes i think people are looking for permission to be excited about it yeah
0: Mm. see it's feeling sad again isn't
1: it (laughs) i'm just feeling compassion for the people who things get in the way of that or they haven't been able to treat themselves in a kind way like that
0: Yeah, I guess that my thought was like, man, imposter syndrome feels like such an inside job kind of thing. But at the same time, it's like it's definitely Mm. reinforced or created by the environment and circumstances and dynamics that we have with others, too.
1: Yeah. I mean, like most things, it exists in in relationship with others. Yeah. Um, Speaking about relationship with others, um, one of the things that you had asked about earlier is, How does imposter syndrome come up for a therapist who's in therapy, Mm -hmm. right? So who is having um, a therapeutic alliance and relationship with another therapist for their own therapeutic needs. And does that ever touch on imposter syndrome? And I'm not very proud about this, but I think it's a very human thing to share that when my prescriber um, first asked me if I wanted to go on a medication to help manage my anxiety, my initial thought process was my clients are on medication, Mm -hmm. not me. Mm -hmm. And that is so gross to say and to admit that that's something that I thought, but that was my initial thought process, very immediate kind of thing. And I was able to like, you know, self talk through that and be like, wow. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think sometimes it can feel that way, especially if we're going through an experience or a time in our lives that feels particularly challenging. And then we have to go show up in the therapeutic space for our patients and put those things aside. I think sometimes it can feel like we're a fraud. So first, I want to say I appreciate you sharing that because I know that that was not
0: easy for you to say. And that probably felt really scary. And also, I think it really can demonstrate what our clients are also experiencing and Mm -hmm. what other people are just experiencing as far as like it that's okay for other people but shouldn't be for me Mm -hmm. no matter what it is it's not because something is more wrong with clients than it is with us it's just we think that we are supposed to be doing something differently or not even better but just like I'm supposed to have my shit together and yeah. other people don't have their shit together and that's okay mm-hmm. but i'm supposed to or whatever and it's just yeah. like oh god so i appreciate you saying that and yeah. i think sometimes that it should whenever it's shown up for me as a client doing a lot of um like preamble to whatever i'm about to say right as far <laughs> as like okay i know that I should be self-talking myself through this and I know that I'm catastrophizing or that I'm doing this or I'm doing that. But blah, 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 blah. And it's like, because I want to be showing my therapist that I know what I'm talking about as a therapist because there is a real threat of like, I'm in this community and hopefully the people that we see are also keeping HIPAA and all that kind of stuff like they should be. But this real fear of like, what if they like would tell someone not to go and see me because they think that I'm a hot mess or something. Yeah. And it's just like, oh, God. So mm-hmm. I just think that's a very unique experience for therapists and probably for, like, doctors and other healthcare providers in general that are, like, supposed to be, I don't want to say secret keepers, but, like, confidants. Yeah. And then having things of their own but again that's what makes a good therapist it's very mm-hmm. complex and it's really hard to it's like this big ball of yarn that's all twisted up trying to sort it out that's oh how it feels.
1: yeah well I have felt in my own therapeutic like process really what you're saying of I always have to tell my therapist like you know I did all these things first and like those things weren't working because I know what I'm doing and I understand skills so can you help me more with that because you know I did all this stuff for mm-hmm. that's the first thing I did and it's mm-hmm. like why are You don't have to manage that. Like, you actually do get to be a human first. Mm -hmm. And if you're going to go pay for therapy for yourself, like, maybe just show up as a human. Stop showing up as a therapist. Yeah. Because you're not in that relationship. You are the client.
0: (laughs) You know what may surprise you and our listeners after getting to know me a little bit? But I found it really challenging to allow myself to cry in therapy.
1: Your face is like, what the fuck? Like, I never knew that you would have a sentence that said, I found it really challenging to cry blank. <laughs> At all. Anywhere.
0: Yeah, because it felt to me, which is so annoying. Like, it's so frustrating to me, and I feel very annoyed at myself for that experience because I, mm-hmm. we know that I truly believe in like literally just had conversations with clients about it yesterday of like, yeah, let yourself cry. Like, that is a good thing. I, mm-hmm. I have TV shows that I specifically called my cry shows, like with that intention. And I think that, and it's not even about being in front of another person either, like I cry on the podcast, cry with you, cry wherever, but something about being in that other side of the chair and letting yourself be vulnerable like that is really different which also again makes me feel so like I talked about on the first episode of just like man we have some of the like best jobs and it's just so important and valuable and stuff but yeah there's something about that setting that made it feel hard for me to cry
1: Mm, yeah it's
0: weird Maybe I should talk to her
1: about that. <laughs> well, my, my of course, initial thought is like, oh, I wonder what's coming up for you that, like, is getting in the way of that. Mm-hmm. We don't need to talk about that here. It's not a therapeutic It's session, because I don't want to. It goes back to imposter yeah. syndrome
0: of, like, I don't want to feel stupid or mm-hmm. look stupid or whatever. Like, st- stupid is the thing. Mm-hmm. So, because yeah. it feels like it makes me seem less competent as a therapist. Like, if I had told her that my job was you know, in retail or an engineer or housewife or whatever, like something that wasn't therapist, I would have felt fine crying is specifically because of therapist and
1: therapy. You know, what's so funny about that is that, so I'm not a crier and my, my previous therapist was really knew that about me. I was very open about saying that. Um, and so any session that I would cry, she would be so excited about it. Mm-hmm. She'd be like, yes, uh, Jennifer is letting herself be emotionally activated. and um, But I had also told her so much about Kelly and about how <laughs> Kelly was like, girl, get in touch with your tears. So she would just be like, yes. Like Kelly's going to be so excited when you tell her that you cried today. Are you going to tell Kelly you cried today? I'm like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> we should have never talked about this. That's um, so funny. To take that a little bit further about like, okay, so what do we do about imposter syndrome And especially like how do we help patients kind of overcome that and how do we create some of that for ourselves to kind of piggyback off this last piece of like therapists being in therapy and imposter syndrome coming up and us wanting to manage the therapeutic space for the therapist, which is not our job. I think sometimes I'll see that happening with patients, especially when they're new to therapy um when they're trying to almost like first date me a little bit to be like okay my crazy is a little bit under wraps not that i think anyone is crazy um right of not wanting to go super deep cuz they're trying to manage and that's also about safety of them still feeling me out a little bit um but i have had cr- clients before be like i'm really motivated like i'm not one of those people who's not going to want to change yeah. and i'm like oh oh like okay you know, you don't really have to tell me that. Like, that's okay. You can show up with whatever level of motivation that you have. Like, I don't, I don't need you to attempt to manage how you're being perceived by me. Yeah. Cause I really do have unconditional positive regard for you.
0: Mm-hmm. Well, th- and I think that can lead us to another podcast too, cause I'm looking at the clock and we only have a couple minutes left. Just this idea of unconditional positive regard is something that therapists are supposed to have but that doesn't mean that that has been the experience of all of our clients when they have gone to healthcare providers in general and so that's just another piece of it too is like the vulnerability of want. like i mean i think at the end of the day like we all want to be liked and accepted and mm-hmm. the therapist and the client want to be liked and accepted so that yeah. feels like part of that too um but another thing that <laughs> Which just goes back to what I was talking about earlier, which is weird and annoying, but I have cried with clients in sessions before, Mm -hmm. and I think that that can help with some of the imposter syndrome and how to help people manage that just from the perspective of, like, I'm feeling either touched or moved or, you know, compassion or empathy or the sadness that you're, like, sharing those emotions with you, whatever part of the wheel that they're on, and so... It's not so impostery when other people have that experience that they're sharing it
1: with you or whatever. Oh, yeah. Well, that's all about, like, let's make things more explicit. Like, if we're feeling like we're struggling with something emotionally or even in our own thought process, like our self-talk is in a space, then where are safe spaces where you can bring that up and say... Wow, I'm so excited to be invited to this conference, but I'm really nervous about getting in front of my peers and talking about this. Mm -hmm. And then having whoever, you know, that is that I'm sharing with that, maybe share an experience where they felt imposter syndrome and, right, it's trying to come out of letting those feelings live in isolation for you and normalizing that as like, okay, again, this is part of the human experience. And so let's like let's allow that to be an invitation for connection to another human and not continue to be isolated and so in that what in some way it gets reinforced that oh no i really am an imposter and and a fraud that i don't want to be found out about like yeah that's probably actually not the case
0: so i think another like practical skill kind of thing that people can do to manage imposter syndrome is just like make a list of the stuff that you know, which could Mm. be a very long list, you know, but specifically with what you're feeling, you know, impostery about, but, um, or make a list of all the things that you feel successful about.
1: Yes. And so
0: that's a very practical skill that can be used. I I do the same thing when people say that they're feeling really out of control or overwhelmed by their lives is like, well, make a list of all the things that you have control over so we can focus Mm -hmm. on that stuff. So that would be a very practical thing.
1: Yeah. One of the things that I had first heard on a, an MFM episode where Karen was talking about her therapist giving her this feedback, and I've since implemented it with a lot of my own patients, is um, creating a to do list for yeah. yourself. I have done that too. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. So what are all the things that – this goes back to me saying – you know, what would it be like to experience looking at all the things that you actually do do rather than the things that you don't do? Yep. So, yeah, what are you really proud that you did get done? Or, you know, what were you able to do that day? And it doesn't have it can just be cooking dinner. I was able to get to the grocery store. I mailed a bill on time. Whatever that is, like celebrate those things for yourself and get used to talking to yourself in a kind way and giving yourself positive reinforcement.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think, I don't know if there's any other final thoughts that you have, but my f- kind of final thought is like to bring it back, like that anchoring feeling of at the end, beginning, middle, the whole day, we are all just people mm-hmm. doing people things. And that is the most important, like you're a human. I love how you always say that, that you're a human first and you get to show up as a human first. Like that is the anchor point, And then all the stuff after that is less important or less um informative of what you deserve or whatever it's like that you get to be deserving of kindness respect compassion etc cetera, etc cetera, because you are a human Yep. and that's what better reason is there than that yeah Ugh.
1: that's just sinking in a little bit
0: i know <laughs> yeah for me yeah. too i'm like ugh.
1: yeah like let that sink in and like mm-hmm. really kind of feel that mm mm-hmm. I hope you all allow yourselves a moment to feel that for yourself as well. Yeah. Maybe go do your own to-da list.
0: Yeah. And share it with us if you want to, or share mm-hmm. with us a ways that you have felt imposter syndrome or dealt with imposter syndrome or helped mm-hmm. someone else deal with it.
1: Yeah. Or what were ways that you felt threatened by imposter syndrome, but you did the scary thing anyway. Yeah. Times of bravery. Yeah. We love that. Yeah. Hmm. All right,
0: y'all. Thanks for listening, and thanks for talking with me, buddy. Yeah. Love thanks for sharing space
1: for me today. Um, all right, y'all. You know where you can find us, so please subscribe, rate, and review. We are so tickled for everybody and anybody who is listening, so please keep keep doing that if you can, if you yeah, want it's to. really helping <laughs> our imposter syndrome. Right, Help us <laughs> overcome it. Uh,
0: we'll see you next time.
1: Bye. Bye.
0: Hello. 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 My best friend's a therapist. Mine is too. Isn't that weird? Yeah. Wow, what a coinky dink. Let's say some say more. Say more.
1: More. Say more things about things. Say more things. Saying more things about things. All those things that we say. Here are the things that we're saying about things. Okay. Okay.
0: like the way that sounds. It sounds so weird to hear it out there and in here. Oh, yes, at the same time. Okay. All right. Sorry. I heard that in here. Mm, It's my burp.